0: and welcome to The Subtext. I am your host, Brian James Polak. The Subtext is brought to you by American Theatre Magazine, a program of Theatre Communications Group. This month, we're doing something we've never done before. As some of you know, a typical episode features a conversation between me and another playwright. But thanks to the Rona, we haven't been able to do that, so the past few episodes have each been a sort of different expression of life in this very particular time. For this month's episode, we reached out to the playwright E.M. Lewis and asked if she would keep an audio diary for a month. In her first entry, she asks why she would be the one to do a thing like this. And I think after you listen to her share her thoughts and feelings over the course of this episode, the answer to that question will be obvious. Ellen is one of the kindest and most thoughtful people I have ever met. If anybody in this world could help me make sense and find comfort in this time, it's her. I need to step back for a second because I realize I've been saying we during this intro, and that's because the staff of one here at the subtext has doubled in size since KJ Jarbo came on board as an associate producer. KJ reached out to me a couple months ago, and this episode was originally her idea, and I'm so excited to share it with you. But before that, I want to introduce you to her. So I gave KJ a call.
1: Hi, KJ. Hey. How's it going?
2: Um, It's going well. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself?
2: Well, I grew up on a farm in Kansas and somehow uh made my way to New York, where I currently live. been here for a few years now. Um, I guess I would call myself a theater maker. Um, I have my hand in a lot of different areas writer slash sound designer slash et cetera, et cetera.
1: How did you um, come about to find the subtext?
2: Well, I think I was struggling to feel connected. Within the industry and in my city, so I was searching for industry and playwriting podcasts, and lo and behold, I stumbled upon the subtext.
1: <laughs> I can't
2: remember the exact details, but um, you know, I guess from the first episode, it felt pretty real and honest,
1: so I
2: had to continue listening.
1: And what uh, what motivated you to reach out to me?
2: Well, the podcast, it, I mean, it marries my interests in sound and playwriting, but Most importantly, it demystifies the process of playwriting and it gives listeners the opportunity to connect with writers in a very um, human way. And that's what really drew me in and compelled me to reach out to you to get involved.
1: I'm glad you did. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) Because uh, as I said to you in one of your emails, I was recently thinking about finding help And I wasn't sure where to go or who to ask. And then, uh, but I kind of gave myself uh, a mental deadline of, you know, in the next few months, I'm going to see if I can find somebody that might be interested to help. And then lo and behold, I get an email from you. It was kind of kismet. Yeah. Uh, So I'm glad you, I'm glad you found Subtext and I'm glad that you emailed. And I'm super excited to share this first episode that you worked on with everybody.
2: Yeah, me too.
1: Uh, thanks for talking to me, and I'm psyched like to introduce you to all of our listeners.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I'm glad. <really surprised. laughs>
1: I I uh, I hope this is the beginning of a a long and fruitful partnership.
2: No, I think it'll be good. I'm excited for this.
1: All right, I'll talk to you soon.
2: Okay, chat soon. Bye. Bye.
0: All right, friends, thanks for listening. Here is E.M. Lewis.
3: do I begin? It's Monday, April 27th, 2020. My name is Ellen Margaret Lewis. I am a playwright, sometimes an opera librettist and playwriting teacher too. I've been asked to keep an audio journal for the next month because, 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 I don't know why me, but of all of us, Every single human being on this planet has suddenly found ourselves confronting our own mortality. We are in the midst of a global pandemic. More than 200,000 people have died, more than 54,000 in the US, more than 2,300 in Oregon, where I live, six deaths here in Clackamas County. Mortality is beating its wings against our windows. My husband died 17 years ago precisely. April 27, 2003. Funny coincidence. (laughs) I'm sure Brian and KJ didn't know that when they asked me to start today. I've spent a long time thinking about mortality. But this is not a journal about the darkness. Those are just the facts in front of us. The given circumstances. Setting the scene. This is not a story about the darkness, friends. This is about how we go on. 28 April, 2020. I'm so tired right now. I worked on a rewrite of The Great Divide for most of the day in preparation for tomorrow's reading. Moving things around and stitching them together in a new way. Nervous about that. (laughs) Always scary to share a new draft of something. A risk to put yourself out there alongside your words and not be sure of a warm reception. Not be sure the words are good, because how do we know? I'm feeling more risk-averse right now because of everything happening in the world. I think that's part of the deep tiredness. Part of me wants to cancel tomorrow's reading and curl up and watch a silly television show with a beer and my cat and not come out until we can actually come back out into the world. But that's no way to be. Everything feels a little unreal right now. Surreal. Alice through the looking glass. At 4.30 when everything in my office is as done as it needs to be for now, I go out to the garden and plant the peppers I bought yesterday and the melons and the basil and the onions and have a beer. (laughs) And it feels so good to be outside. I'm lucky to have an outside to go to. I feel so much more grounded when I am literally touching the ground, feeling the damp dirt in my hands as I press the little plants down into the holes I've dug for them. 29 April 2020. We had the reading of The Great Divide this afternoon. It felt good to be working, even if it was over a computer screen instead of in a room together. This play has been roiling around in my head for a while now. I have the topic, I have the event, but I'm in search of a structure, the bucket that will hold it all. There are so many ways to tell a story. It was nice to see everyone and hear their voices. I'm an introvert, but I'm an introvert who usually goes to two shows a week, give or take, and hugs at least five people at each one on average. I miss going to the theater sitting in a dark room together, leaning forward in my chair, hearing a story voiced in real time in three dimensions. No pause button. No promise that it will turn out tonight exactly like it did last night, because it's real people up there. Anything can happen. (laughs) I took the dogs on two walks today and might take them for a third. They're glad I'm staying home so much. So is the cat. He and I have coffee and breakfast together every morning and read a chapter together. It's a nice way to start the day, a new quarantine rhythm. I am now three chapters into Harry Potter, book five. It feels right to be reading something with magic in it right now. I began weeding the cane berries. They need it terribly. There's always something to do on a farm. This is where I grew up, my great-grandparents' farm, which they bought when they came out from Wyoming in their Model T. I wasn't sure I could be a playwright here on the farm in Oregon when I ran out of money and moved back five years ago. Six? Six years ago. But for a million reasons, it's been a good decision. It's easier to be a playwright if you have a low overhead, and I can operate with a very low overhead here. There are other challenges that come with living in the same household with other adults, particularly adults who are your parents, <laughs> but I can hug them now during this quarantine. I'm really glad I'm not alone. 30 April, 2020. We had a follow-up meeting today to talk about yesterday's reading of the Great Divide. I am lucky to once again be surrounded with smart people who know a lot about storytelling. There's still quite a bit I don't know about how to write this play. But some things are beginning to clarify. I'm excited to write more and feel like I can. We're planning another reading in two months, which feels like the right amount of time to be both carrot and stick. From one thirty to 2.30 this afternoon, I listened in on Opera America panel discussion, specifically from Women's Opera Network, talking about how we'd like to move forward after all this, and how we think we can. I am still getting to know the opera world, so I like sitting in on this sort of thing to hear how folks talk about the art and the industry. I've loved my forays into learning the craft and practicing the making of opera. It's opened my mind and storyteller heart to all kinds of new possibilities and brought me in contact with some amazing collaborators. I feel twice the imposter though, in that world that I do in theater. How is it that this Oregon farm girl gets to have this life? I've done a whole lot of work to build it and I've had so many people help me along the way. But still, it amazes me that this is my life. That I get to tell stories for what passes for a living. one May, 2020. Mom and I did a little shop today, by which I mean that she rode with me in the car while I went in, donning my mask and gloves and being quick about it. She and Dad have been quite good during all this about staying in. I'm scared for all of us, but particularly for them. Every time I shop for all of us, I think, am I bringing something back that will kill them? (laughs) Maybe that's why I'm finding shopping so exhausting. We have several boxes of disposable gloves on hand because the guys use them in the winery here on the farm. And I'm very, very grateful to my mask makers. I'm still shocked at how suddenly life changed. The last shows I saw were Indecent by Paula Vogel at Artist Rep on March 8th and Pipeline by Dominique Morisot at Portland Playhouse on March 12th. I remember thinking hard about whether or not I was going to go to Pipeline because other productions were beginning to cancel the rest of their runs in Portland and across the country and things were beginning to shift. I'm working on a monologue for the Red Door Project, and I thought a lot about that, as well as The Great Divide today, while I puttered around the farm. Being close to nature is very helpful to me as both a human and as a writer. I should pull out my Mary Oliver books and start reading a poem each day again. And I've been meaning to read some more Wendell Berry. I know I have a few of his books in my library. It connects to The Great Divide, thinking about the land and our relationship to it. It was a really pretty morning, so I had my coffee and breakfast outside in Mom's St. Francis garden, and sat there in my bathrobe in the sunshine reading my Harry Potter book. And then I heard a whirring of wings, and a hummingbird lit on the barbed wire fence near my head and rested there for a moment. There is something very special about a visitation of hummingbirds. Two Canadian geese flew across the bright blue morning sky, honking away. When I walked the dogs around the perimeter of the farm, a garter snake startled me, slithering briskly toward the fence line to get out of our way. In the evening, I spent some time hoeing the asparagus patch and starting in on Dad's baby Christmas trees, which are disappearing under the weeds. It's nice to be able to make something better. 02 May 2020. Rain today. I put coats on the dogs and walk them anyway. Everything smells green and clean and verdant. A bright green and brown and white mallard duck flies up from the pond when we approach. The peas in the garden have suddenly leapt out of the ground as if water was all they were waiting for. We walk again after supper between two magnificent showers, and the light is extraordinary. In the afternoon, I sit in my big red chair with Joe the Cat and watch the National Theatre's production of Frankenstein, with Johnny Lee Miller as the monster and Benedict Cumberbatch as the doctor. I haven't watched a lot of theatre on screen in the last two months, because it feels like something less than the real thing for the most part. Mimicry instead of its own thing. Maybe it will get there. I've also needed some quietness. I'm not the sort of person who needs to stuff every minute of every day full of business and busyness, and yet the last year or two or more have felt crammed to the gills with doing. On this rainy afternoon though, two months into quarantine, I was ready to see a show and it pulled me in. The design must have felt amazing for those who were in the room but it was Mary Shelley's big questions about what it is to be human and what it means to be a monster that resonated, who we care about and who we shun, love and responsibility. Hundreds of people demonstrated in Salem today, our state capital in a reopen Oregon rally. I've been watching enough news to see the rallies in other state capitals over the last few weeks and have been particularly horrified by the ones where a whole bunch of white guys with guns stand in the center of things claiming to stand for freedom. The anti-vaxxers are out, the white supremacists, the yay yay NRA, Alex Jones, signs that claim persecution and spout Nazi rhetoric. And I wonder how we've gotten here fighting each other instead of this deadly virus, accusing our overwhelmed doctors and nurses of lying about the seriousness of what they are actually facing every day, listening to self-aggrandizing politicians instead of medical professionals, calling the most vulnerable of us expendable. What happened to empathy? Breakage, a poem by Mary Oliver. I go down to the edge of the sea, how everything shines in the morning light, the cusp of the whelk, the broken cupboard of the clam, the opened blue mussels, moon snails, pale pink and barnacle scarred, and nothing at all whole or shut, but tattered, split, dropped by the gulls onto the grey rocks and all the moisture gone. It's like a schoolhouse of little words, thousands of words. First, you figure out what each one means by itself. The jingle, the periwinkle, the scallop full of moonlight. Then you begin, slowly, to read the whole story. 03 May 2020. In a wrinkle in time, Madeleine Allengel shares the following exchange through a conversation between Mrs. What's it and Calvin. In your language, you have a form of poetry called the sonnet. There are 14 lines, I believe, all in iambic pentameter. That's a very strict rhythm or meter. And each line has to end with a rigid pattern. And if the poet does not do it exactly this way, it is not a sonnet. But within this strict form, the poet has complete freedom to say whatever he wants. You're given the form, but you have to write the sonnet yourself. Whatever you say is completely up to you. Maybe we're in sonnet time now, challenged to find the freedom in the constriction. 06 May 2020 Meditations on Three Lost Days. One, I taught a playwriting workshop a few weeks ago over Zoom that I called Rage on Stage. I'd planned it long before the pandemic and considered cancelling or changing the topic, but I ended up teaching it anyway. I had a lovely group of 14 writers from three states, and we spent three hours together talking and writing and sharing. One of the plays I knew I was going to focus on was The Normal Heart by Larry Kramer. It's a play I find myself referencing often when I teach, not only because it's good, but because it is such an absolute demand of a play. It takes you and shakes you and tells you this is not how things should be and we have to do something about it. I told my little group of writers about seeing the revival on Broadway and how at the end of the first scene, there were eight names that appeared on the big back wall of the stage. And after the second scene, there were 23. And after the third scene, there were 117. And by the end of the play, the back wall of the theater was filled with names of the dead. One of the groups I belong to has been gathering for a happy hour on Fridays so that we can keep connected to one another. And when I went last time, I asked Michael how he was doing, because he was sitting back in his chair, and he looked sad. And because I asked, he shared with us that he had just lost someone to the virus. And he talked about theater companies having meetings and meetings and meetings about how they were going to continue, how they're going to go on, but that we aren't going to be able to go on like we did, not when we can't even touch each other. And I remembered that exchange in the normal heart where one of the men lays into the main character and tells him we were just beginning to be able to love each other and touch each other without being ashamed and you want us to stop? You're telling us we can't do that anymore? It's so unfair that gay men who survived that plague have to face another one and I grieve for intimacy. I grieve it. I grieve it. I don't even get that much in my everyday life, but I miss it. And that's not even true, because I do touch people, even if I don't make love it as often as I'd like. I hug, I pat people on the arm, I reach out, people reach back. And we can't do that anymore. I've always written the intimacy I craved and imagined, and maybe I can't even have that anymore maybe that's lost too. I grieve. Two. I woke up on Sunday and started writing. I wrote two scenes naked in the bathroom with the shower running, (laughs) wasting water, scribbling as fast as I could. I didn't mean to waste water. It was just the words are everything when they're coming into my head. I can't hear anything else. There is a flush of joy that comes with this sort of writing when a play is beginning to show itself, when the characters are in the process of becoming themselves or sharing themselves with me, however you want to put it. Three. I've been trying to practice the piano every day. I'm not good at playing the piano, but I'm not playing because I'm good. I'm playing to give myself a routine and a, well, a practice. At first, I set my timer for 15 minutes, but I don't have to do that anymore. The piano belonged to my great grandparents and now it belongs to me. I took lessons when I was a kid, which was really good because it gave me a foundation I could build on and a sense of music and how to read it on the page that has been helpful with the opera stuff. I wasn't good then, and I didn't care about it particularly, but it's giving me entirely different gifts now. A calmness, the disappearance of thought when I focus on which notes to play, and the rhythm of the song. I have to wear my glasses to play because the notes are fuzzy otherwise. (laughs) My eyes are really starting to go. Four, I'm letting my hair go white. (laughs) I've wanted to stop coloring it for a while, but it's hard to let go of vanity. And it's hard to go through that period of ugly in betweenness. When people see me next, will they think I look terribly old? Will I look terribly old? Will I look terrible? <laughs> what a silly thing to think about. Five. It was raining on Sunday and I was tired, so I didn't do any work at all. I kicked back in my big red chair with Joe the Cat and watched the new Apple Family play from the public theater. It was magnificent. (laughs) It gave me hope and comfort. I've seen two of the Apple Family plays at the theater. Was it when I lived in New Jersey? I guess it was. They've been doing them for a while now. The storytelling balances the personal and the political with such grace. The actors are fantastic And this, like the other plays, was written during and for this moment, and also for this medium. What do we need to talk about is its perfect title. And the family meeting over Zoom that it captures is intimate and silly and profound and vulnerable in all the ways I love my theater to be. And it was theater. It felt like theater in the way the story was told, in the way it trusted its audience, even though it wasn't being performed in a theater or watched there. It gave me hope. Six. My parents reminded me the other day of their wishes of what to do with their remains after they die. I hate this whole timeline. Can we pick another happier one? Seven. I was supposed to be packing for Hedgebrook this month and heading out to Whidbey Island to participate in the playwriting retreat. Today, we had a meeting of our phantom cohort. It was bittersweet because I so wish I could be out on the island, riding all day in our little cabins in the woods, and then coming together in the evenings for dinner and sharing. Oh, the would haves could haves 09 May, 2020. I find myself thinking about the notion of safety today. I wrote about it most specifically in the gun show, the need we all have to feel safe, prompting both the desire to have guns and the desire to not have guns and the unattainability of safety either way, because we are fundamentally unsafe when we are finite, vulnerable, mortal human beings. Ships are safe in harbor. But that's not what ships are for, one of my characters argues in Magellanica, quoting William Shedd, needing to complete their scientific quest in spite of the physical dangers of Antarctica. In How the Light Gets In, the main character, Grace, who has completed her treatments for breast cancer and is now dumped out the other side of medical treatment, asks of her doctors and the universe, am I safe now? There is no answer. Keeping on anyway is the choice we're left with, keeping on or not, with the knowing we're fundamentally vulnerable. Today I'm thinking about safety in terms of race, because I'm thinking about Ahmad Arbery. There are so many ways at this moment in American history in which I want our country to be better. The death of this young man, who seems to have been stalked and chased down and murdered, is horrifying. The fact that his murderers weren't arrested or charged for two months until someone leaked a video recording is horrifying. The fact that I immediately remembered that the exact same thing happened to Drayvon Martin a few years ago and his killer got away with it makes me wonder how black men in this country are able to get up each day and go about their lives. What kind of country is this? I am limiting the amount of news I read, trying to balance staying informed with keeping my sanity. But the heavily armed protests at various state capitals of coronavirus restrictions were impossible to miss. I've been thinking a lot about protest, particularly in terms of race, as I work on the great divide. Who gets to protest and how, and what are the consequences? And in every cell of my body, I am horrified that these terrorists were allowed into their state houses with no repercussions. Safety. Safety. The other day, a neighbor dropped by to see if we knew why the church door was open next door to us. We didn't. And to ask if we'd like to adopt a kitten. She has nine. And I asked Mom if she had stayed six feet away from our neighbor, and she said, yes, she thought so, she was trying to. But then she said, I'm afraid there's no way I'm not going to get it. It made me so sad. The hopelessness. Here on the farm, I often hear gunfire. Not someone shooting a fox that's skidding into the henhouse kind of gunfire. Target practice kind of gunfire. Loud and frequent and close. It doesn't make me feel safe. I don't know their intentions, especially now with everything that's happening. What is happening? I don't in any way mean to collide things together that are different things. But I've been thinking about it today. Safety. 11 May 2020. I've somehow contracted poison oak, and the tractor broke, and mom hasn't been sleeping well, so we're all a bit cranky today here in quarantine land. My neck hitches and hurts abominably. Benadryl and cold packs made from baggies of frozen peas help a little. I'm trying not to think about it and not to bite everyone's head off when they look at me funny. I would hate to be quarantined alone, but it's sometimes very hard to be stuck with people and not be able to really get away. I talked with Dan today. That cheered me up. He's a wonderful writer and human being. (laughs) I really am lucky to have good friends. We talked about our writing projects in progress and how they're going, about how to stay focused and get work done when time is meaningless and the days slip by so easily. (laughs) It felt good to check in with him about that. I picked the first strawberry from my little strawberry patch today and ate it. That was a very nice thing. I ordered a few books last week and they came in the mail. One of them is called Think Little by Wendell Berry. I love it so far. I can think of no better form of personal involvement in the cure of the environment than that of gardening, he says. A person who is growing a garden is improving a piece of the world. (laughs) It's not just about gardening though. It's about making a fundamental shift in how we think about our place in the world. I'm all for that. I'm ready. It feels like the time is now. After I get another bag of frozen peas to put on my neck. 12 May 2020. It's been a day full of everything. I began by having a planned chat with Nate in Chicago, and it was lovely to catch up with him and hear what he's been up to. He's just finishing up his degree in directing at Northwestern. And of course, with the world as it is, his final project, final semester, and prospects for the immediate future are fubar. But he's hanging in there. Then I talked with Bob in Maryland via FaceTime, which was great. He's a fabulous fellow playwright. And we've both been invited to talk with Alex at First Stage later this month about making new plays since they premiered plays of ours gave us a good excuse to reach out to each other and to talk about maybe working together on something. We read a play in the evening during our line storm meeting, a fun comedy by Rich. It was great to see everyone in our little playwriting group, even if it was on a computer screen. Lots of connecting with people, in spite of the quarantine. I've been having some really wonderful long talks with people over the last two months as if being quarantined is making us reach toward each other in new ways and understand how much we need each other. In the midst of all this connecting, I found out that Dave died. Dave worked at Artists Rep in Portland for years and years, that quiet, kind, funny sound technician who listened more than he spoke and was always there for every project, helping to figure out how to make things work. He wasn't that old. He worked with us on Magellanica, my epic Antarctic play. Maybe another reason we're reaching toward each other right now is that everything feels so fragile. Everything is so fragile. It always is, it always has been, but now the cracks and the beams have been made visible and we can hear them creaking ominously. 13 May, 2020. It rained most of today. I got in a piano lesson as I managed to do more days than not and walked two miles up at the Abbey Hill, which was a nice change. I made cream of asparagus soup from scratch and it turned out fabulously. And the American Theatre Critics Association announced the winner of the Steinberg Atka Award which was me for my play, How the Light Gets In, which premiered last year at Boston Court, Pasadena. (laughs) It's a really personal play. Written as I was dealing with a breast cancer diagnosis and living through surgeries and radiation treatments and fear and anger and lots of other emotions. (laughs) Too many emotions to have by myself. So I invented four imaginary friends to help me through it along with the real-life friends who helped me through it. I had amazing support as I worked on the play, particularly from everyone at Boston Court, especially my director, Emily Beck. She walked with me from the earliest of scribbled scenes to workshopping drafts at Boston Court in Chautauqua through the beautiful world premiere production where we wrestled it up on stage with the most amazing actors and designers. I have the privilege of working with such great people on an amazingly regular basis. I feel lucky and grateful. 15 May 2020. How is it the middle of the month already? I don't understand how we got here. The days blur, the weeks blur. What did I accomplish yesterday? What have I done today? I've been doing things. I swear I've been doing things, but I'm not sure what. I walked two miles at the Abbey again today because getting back into a routine of exercise would be a lovely thing to gain from this pandemic. I'm reading, I'm cooking for the family, I'm keeping up with my emails and small gigs that come my way. It doesn't seem like I'm doing enough. What should I be doing? What do I want to do? 16 May 2020. I don't feel well today and I don't do much. No walk. Well, I walk the dogs but that's it. I sit in my big chair with my cat curled up under a blanket and listen to the rain fall outside my window. I've agreed to write something for Josh over at Profile for a fundraiser and I scribble my scene in a notebook longhand. It's odd to write something with a bunch of other writers, with their scenes coming before, like a really intense game of telephone, testing to see how well we're listening to each other and how well we can figure out how to tell our part of the story. I think of Arthur Miller's words. Wasn't it him who said, every play is about the chickens coming home to roost? I try to write my chickens well. 17 May, 2020. Today is a new day. Today is Sunday. I help my mom log into her church live stream on YouTube, then put all the ingredients for bread into the bread machine, then take a walk at the Abbey, getting back into that groove, enjoying the sunshine, then try out a new recipe for dinner. Shepherd's pie. 18 May 2020. What does all this mean? As I walk up and down the Abbey Hill today, listening to a kick-ass mix of 80s pop music from Pandora, I find myself craving a moral to this story, a shape to this plot, a Joseph Campbell-esque hero's journey that I can follow through this pandemic. I'm not a particularly religious person, so I'm not looking for an answer in church or from God. But I'm not a nihilist either. I see beauty and shape and structure to the natural world around me. I feel my spirit lifted when I hear Bach or see my garden growing from seeds I planted. There are seasons that come in turn and songs that begin and end. What is the shape of this story? More than 318,000 people around the world have died from the coronavirus in the last few months. More than 90,000 people have died here in the United States. It would be wonderful if we actually had a president in our country, a real one who could help craft a story around our actions, a story about coming together in times of crisis, about helping each other when people need help, about thinking of the common good. But all we have is what we have, a great hole of a thing spitting lies and vitriol via Twitter, flinging blame at everyone around him, fanning the flames of division. Okay, so the story isn't going to come from him. So I guess it has to come from us. Very democratic. One of the most powerful books I've ever read is called Man's Search for Meaning. Viktor Frankl wrote it after surviving the Holocaust, living through World War II in a Nazi concentration camp, losing everything, but not letting everything be lost, holding on to some sense of himself, of humanity in the most impossible of situations. It's not a very long book. (laughs) I highlighted and underlined most of it because it's really good. It spoke to me when I was feeling hopeless. Reading it made me feel. made me feel not alone in questioning everything. But also, it gave me a sense of responsibility for my own story. I get to own its meaning. No one can take that away from me. Here's a story. Remember Dave, the Dave the Sound guy who died last week? who wasn't very old, who didn't say much, but was always there, quietly making the theater work. Well, his family is coming into town to sort out his affairs. And what a terrible time to have to try to figure out how to do that impossible thing. How do you travel? Everything is closed. Everything feels dangerous and sad. They were going to stay in their van somehow, because they didn't know of any hotel that would be open or safe. So Christine, who worked with Dave a long time, has figured out a place for them to stay. And we're all pitching in for the house and some groceries. And she's also been gathering people's stories about Dave and sharing them with Dave's mom. So she'll know he was cared about. He was part of our theater family. He was valued. He mattered. I want this to be about that. I want this to be about the high school kid here in Oregon who figured out how to make clear masks for people like him who are hard of hearing or deaf so they can keep reading lips but be safe. I want this to be about those Doctors Without Borders who went to the Navajo Reservation to help that community which has been so devastated by this disease. I want this to be about the nurses and doctors who go to work every day and help people even though it must be terrifying and devastating. If this story has a shape, I insist that we drag it upwards toward meaning and grace and goodness and kindness and hard work and decency. It's hard to know what kind of story you're in when you're still in the middle of it, but I know what I'm aiming toward. It feels a little bit like drowning now, but I'm going to keep swimming toward the surface toward the light and the air and the people I care about. Until I'm dead, I'm going to keep swimming. Swim with me, friends. Keep swimming. 19 May 2020. I remember chatting with this guy when I was living in New Jersey. We had both paused along the trail that ran the length of the canal, him running and me walking. And I said something innocuous like, I love this trail. And he said something like, it gets kind of boring running the same trail after a while. I was so surprised at what he said because I walked that trail three or four days a week and every single time it was different. But he was running and I was looking. My daily walks around the farm with the dogs are the same way. We often go two or three times, but there's so much to see. The tomatoes have begun to flower. The weeds are taking over the back garden in all this rain and it's too wet to hoe. The ducks are back in the pond again. Augie has caught a snake in the fence line. The creek is up. What kind of wildflower is that? Do you hear the hum of the bees? Do you feel the rain on your face when you turn it up like a flower to the sky? Mary Oliver talked frequently about her walks, about the natural world that inspired so many of her poems. Stuck here in one place, one beautiful place for so long, I'm beginning to walk like a poet. 21 May, 2020. I don't wanna do anything today. I don't want to talk to anyone. I don't want to do anything. I don't want to be productive. I don't want to write. I don't want to take a walk. I don't want to make my bed. I don't want to be civil. I feel exhausted. I feel weighed down by uncertainty, which is heavier than I would have imagined. I feel disconnected like a useless old rotary phone that dials in circles but doesn't reach anyone. I lie on the floor. I close my eyes. I breathe. I think about the emails I should be returning and the jobs I should be doing and the plays I should be reading in my unmade bed, but I don't get up. My mom asked the other day if I wanted to do something special with my prize money from the Steinberg Award, and I told her I wanted to go to Hawaii. I didn't even think before I opened my mouth, I just said it. Someplace far, that you have to go in an airplane to get to. I've never been to any place where the water is warm, but that's what I dream of. Wading out into water that is warm, floating there in warm water with the sun shining on my face, with lush, green, verdant jungle beyond, and an icy cold drink of some sort waiting under my pink umbrella, served by someone impossibly handsome and smiling down at me, served in a coconut, a pineapple. 22 May 2020. This day was so full. I walked up at the Abbey this morning because I knew I wouldn't get a walk in if I didn't do it right off the bat. Not too many people walking today. I wear a bandana when I'm walking that I can pull up over my nose and mouth. I wrote a 10-minute play called The Third Prisoner for Portland Center Stage and sent it in because it was due today. It was a commission for plays at home, playwrights across the country writing plays for people to perform at home until we can all go into the theater again. I rather like what I wrote. It's about, well, about the letting the light in when you are beset with darkness. The New York Times has released their Sunday front page. US deaths near 100,000, an incalculable loss, is the headline. They were not simply names on a list, they were us. It's still pretty dark. But the country is opening up anyway. Businesses everywhere cautiously or insistently. All afternoon I work with Domiso and our team from Artists Rep. They've gotten a PPP loan to hire folks to put theatre artists to work. And we're making my five-part epic Antarctic play Magellanica into an audio play. And it's very exciting. Their production of the world premiere was one of the most thrilling experiences I've had in the theatre. And we get to have the whole original cast back and make it into something wonderful and new. We have to rush to adapt the script from a play that will be watched by an audience to something that will just be listened to. And in the conversation as we work, Damaso asks if I will come on Wednesday and the days after to the rehearsals and the recording sessions. And I pause. Because I haven't been out. (laughs) Not like that. Not for work, not for months now. I dance around it for a moment because he took me by surprise and because I'm afraid. They will be tremendously careful. Christine has a plan, literally, a floor plan that keeps everyone six feet apart. We will be with each other, but we cannot hug each other. I'll go. And I will stay six feet apart and I'll wear my mask and I will not hug anyone, even Barbie, even Vin, because we care about each other and we want to keep each other safe. What a strange world it is now. In the evening, I help with dinner, then I throw myself through the shower, then I grab an adult beverage out of the refrigerator and go back up to my office, because dear Jamie, our Magellanica stage manager, has arranged a party, a Zoom party that she's calling the Mid-COVID Follies. <laughs> it's an inside joke, because in my play, the eight people stuck at the South Pole together have a celebration called the Midwinter Follies. And it is the glorious part four centerpiece of the play when they lose everything and give each other everything at the same time. In the play, they drink and each perform for each other. And in the mid-COVID follies over the Zoom, we do the same, catching up and drinking from all our little glasses and sharing a song and a poem and a story. We drink to Dave, who we lost not two weeks ago so suddenly we are so glad to see each other I've missed everyone so much even if it's difficult even if it's scary I am so excited to go back to work how do we go on (laughs) that's the question we go on we go on
0: I want to thank Alan for being so generous with her thoughts and her time. I could not be more enthusiastic about her and her work. If you don't know her plays, you really should go find them. I'm wicked excited about Magellanica being adapted into an audio play, and I can't wait for that to come out. This episode was produced by me and K.J. Jarbo and was edited entirely by K.J. The music at the beginning of the episode was from Techno Axe. The outro music is by our new best friend, K.J. Jarbo. The theme for the subtext is by International Pen Pal. Thank you to America Theatre Magazine and Rob Weiner Kent. And thank you, new associate producer K.J., who I am really psyched to be working with now. Follow the Subtext Podcast on Twitter, at SubtextPodcast. Send us an email if you have anything you'd like to say. The address is thesubtextpodcast at gmail.com. And if you're still listening at this point, that means you really like us, and you should go rate and review the subtext on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is you get your podcasts. The play filling me up this month is Three Antarcticas by Christine Daschak, who I interviewed actually on the subtext back in January of 2019. Three Antarcticas is an incredible story that explores the entire history of humans in Antarctica through the lens of gender, queerness, and climate change. Check it out if you can.